This Captain's Call episode is with Collingwood legend Scott Pendlebury. As always, Pendles is honest with his thoughts and you can tell he will make a great coach given how deeply and intelligently he thinks about the game. Pendles is in his prime as a leader and this was a fascinating chat. Hope you enjoy it. I'm here at the Holden Centre chatting today to the captain of the Collingwood Footy Club, Scott Pendlebury, and one of the most decorated players of the modern era, premiership player, five-time Copeland Trophy winner, Norm Smith medal in 2010, five-time All-Australian, AFLPA board member. Welcome, Pendles. Thanks, Marshy. Thanks for the uh, kind words. Yeah, no, not bad from a boy for a boy from the bush. Um, when you look back on what you've achieved so far in your career, what are you most proud of? Um, Oh, it's so, I probably I feel like every player says this, but when you're playing, you sort of don't reflect. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm most proud. The premiership was was one. Um, yeah, 2010 was a special year, and just not so much. And I, I think I've said this before about premierships. It's not so much the actual dates, the, the whole journey, and yeah. all the memories from the year. And um, so yeah, 2010 is obviously the special year in my career. So the premiership in 2010 came the hard way, didn't it, after a pretty dramatic draw in the first grand final? You, you won the Norm Smith medal in the replay. How did you get yourself up for a game that so many players seem so deflated after? Um, yeah, I think the, one of the key things at this football club was, was Mick straight away after the game. I think it was Mick and Eddie spoke about um, we had a post-game function with all family and friends because obviously you thought there was going to be a result. So yeah. win or lose, we're going to go have a function, have a few beers with all your family and friends and turns out it's a draw and um yeah we all mick and eddie um recommended we all go to the function as much as at the time we wanted to just come back yeah. do a recovery go home and just sort of yeah sit there and wallow in sort of your own pity for a bit we all decided as a group that let's go family and friends um yeah we just went and we sort of almost got the game out of our system that night and i remember mick got up um halfway through the function and sort of gave almost like a halftime speech at this function and he says, you know, in your career, people are very lucky just to play in one grand final. You boys have got the chance to play in two and two weeks. Yeah. Sort of just motivated the whole group and we all bounced into training the next day and it was all about opportunity. And, um, yeah, if you if you could take a grand final draw and then you go back and win it the next week, would you do it? And 100% you would. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, you, you obviously it was such an – couldn't have been a closer first grand final. The second, the second game was, um, you know, you guys won pretty comfortably. Yeah. Do you think that was a big part of how you actually got the win in the end? Yeah, I think yeah. so. As I said, I think just because we started the week on such a positive note, um, it didn't take us a few days to get over sort of that night. We got over yeah. the draw and, and the fact that, um, you know, we thought – we should have won it. St Kilda thought, you know, the ball bounced the wrong way for them at the end of the game and yeah. whatever it was. But um, at the end of the day, it was a draw. We just moved on, um, spoke about the next week. And another thing too, I think in that first grand final, we had a lot of players who were sort of below their best. And I think St Kilda had a lot of players who played quite well. And we yeah. thought that if we could get, you know, just seven or eight of those guys up to their their sort of normal standard throughout the year, I think it would be pretty hard to beat and, and it turned out that way. Mm. And so you roll on into the following season, um, you know, hot favourites, get to the grand final again, lose the grand final. So the contrast yeah. of winning versus losing, talk us through, I mean, you, you, I might be bringing up stuff you don't want to talk yeah. about here, but talk us through that. Um, yeah, I suppose that, that 2011 year was probably the best side I've ever played in, though. Like we were as dominant um, as I've ever felt on a football field. You know, yeah. I almost felt invincible when we walked out against any other side like we only lost to Geelong that year we had three losses for the year and they were all against Geelong yeah. um, so yeah you're going out and um, the first probably half of the year we were flying no injuries um, 
yeah, we almost were going too well. Um, and then we sort of run out a bit of puff towards the end of the year. And I think that was that prelim where, you know, Buddy Franklin kicked that ridiculous yeah. goal. And then Borley come back and kicked one. And, um, you know, we'll, we weren't lucky to get to the grand final, but, um, you know, we had to get there the hard way. And that then the grand final, yeah, I think we just, you know, to be honest, the Geelong, they were just too good for us that day. I think we had our chances. Half time we went in in front. Um, yeah, and then they sort of steamroll us in the last quarter. So, um, but yeah, the contrast from how good you feel um, 12 months earlier to not wanting to be anywhere near the MCG when that siren went, couldn't get into the rooms quick enough. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the after game function is very, very different when you go from winning a grand final to losing. So, mm. um, yeah, it's one that, one that got away, but, um, you know, that's footy. Maybe another one coming up soon. I'm going to obviously spend a lot of time talking about footy, but I wouldn't mind just touching on basketball. You, yep. we've, there's a lot made of your basketball career. How far did you get and what made you choose footy in the end? Um, yeah, I suppose in terms of how far I got is in a junior program sense. I was at the Australian Institute of Sport, um, sort of earmarked for the next group to go into the under-19 World Championship. So the group before us was... Um, a guy I grew up with, Reese Carter, he played, he was from Sale. Yeah. Um, he was four years older than me and his team won a gold medal over there for Australia. And um, I suppose for me, I was lucky that I had a guy who would come back. He was at the AIS for three years before me, but every summer he would come back to Sale. So I had sort of like this idol that lived in my own backyard. And when I was at school, he used to, before school, come work out with me, um, yeah. do all that sort of stuff. And so basketball for me was... Um, you know, I had the goal written up on, on my mirror in my wa- in my um, room about, you know, oh, I forget what it was now. I think it was like 2006 or 2007 World Cup. Yep. And I had like the location, everything written up. And yeah, so I was very real. And um, yeah, I got to the AIS and I was up there for the All-Australian camp and I had moved all my stuff into my dorm and mum and dad come up to check it out, blah, 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 get all my schedule for school and that sort of stuff. And um, probably hit me then that I was going to have to move away from home, move away from all my mates. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the youngest guy on the on the team by a couple of years, so going to school was pretty daunting in year twelve at a new school with sort of no one around you. So yeah, and in Canberra, yeah, and in Canberra, exactly to top it off. So um, yeah, I just spoke to Dad about um, at that stage. I'd never really played footy before. I'd, I'd played a little bit of juniors and stuff like that, but um, yeah, never really gave it a fair go or anything like that. So I said, you know, do you reckon the AIS would be cool with me coming back for a year, finish year 12, I'll still play basketball, have a kick of footy as well. And then, you know, after that, let's, we'll get stuck into basketball. So I spoke to the coach at AIS. He was cool with that. Um, yeah, so we moved back to sale. Uh, rang up Gippsland Power in February and said, do you mind if I come down? They said, pre-season's finished, but yeah. you can come down to a trial game because my older brother had played at Gippsland, so they yeah, knew okay. the family, had that yeah. sort of connection, which was pretty fortunate. Um, played centre half back in a trial game, went okay. Um, yeah, and the sort of rest is rest is history. Ended up winning the flag that year in TSC Cup with with Gippsland, and um, got drafted at the end of that year. Drafted number five too. So yeah, that's a pretty big intro to footy. Uh, is it true that in you leaving the AIS, you opened the door for Paddy Mills to take your spot? Yeah, well, that was me and Paddy, obviously the same age, so we were going to be the guys in that World Cup group. So yeah. um, Paddy lived in Canberra, so he didn't need the scholarship. You know, I did yeah, because okay. I couldn't get access to it, to the facility as much. So pretty much I think the idea was, you know, I would have the scholarship, Paddy could still come in and train. But then when I, I left, they were like, well, let's just give it to Paddy because he's, yeah. sort of, he's here and, and next in line. 
So I note that he um, he only signed a $65 million deal with the Spurs last year, so no regrets about that decision? No, nah, none at all. <laughs> no, nah, no. Nah. Um, you're often talked about as the smoothest mover in the game, someone who sort of seems to have more time than anybody else. What do you put that down? Is basketball a part of that? Um, oh, it has to be because it's, I don't know, it's part of who I am and it's how I play. So yeah. I don't know whether basketball, you know, shaped how I play football, but... Um, I don't know, is it too obvious to say it's just how I play? It's it's what I do. And, yeah. you know, you see guys like Dangerfield Fife who naturally just burst away from stoppages and bash and crash through people like they're not even there. And, um, you know, I can't do that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think I'm pretty calm out on the field and can stay nice and relaxed. Yeah. So the purpose of the podcast is to talk about leadership and specifically your leadership. You're into your fifth year now as the Collingwood captain, probably the biggest sporting club in this country. What's it like to lead such an enormous club? Um, yeah, it's funny. I suppose I've grown up since 17 being here. So to me, it's just normal. And, yeah. um, you know, it is it is a massive club. But the guys, the, the football club, the support networks you get here are, are phenomenal. So... Um, yeah, I don't actually look at it like I'm captain of one of the biggest clubs in Australia. It's just a club and a group of guys that I love and very honoured to, to lead. So the, the expectations and scrutiny that come with being a Collingwood player, firstly, but obviously the Collingwood captain, uh, look, I, I'd certainly take your point, you don't know it any different, but do you feel that? Um, oh, I just feel like there's there's pressure in this game, um, regardless of who you play for, and um, individuals put so much pressure on themselves to perform that externally I don't buy into any noise and um, you know I'll just do whatever I can for this group to win games of football and, and for all the guys to enjoy their experience at this football club and um, yeah I'm probably fortunate that I don't buy into or nothing really affects me outside you know these four walls at all. Yeah I'm going to come back to that in a little bit in terms of your strengths and your attributes. I'm interested to know, you know last year was a, a pretty turbulent year for the club with respect to the team. Didn't make the finals. There's expectations here. There's a lot of pressure on Bucks as the coach around his job. Um, what role did you play as the captain throughout that period? Um, oh, I obviously just tried to throw my support behind Bucks as much as I could and... Um, try and keep the playing group as focused on what we had to do week to week. But, yeah, there were stages there where the noise and the cameras out the front of the club was just ridiculous. And every day, win or lose, you're walking in, you're copying questions. And, yeah. you know, you can say, like, for me, you know, I can deal with that sort of stuff and let's just get out and focus on what we need to do and be professional. But for, for people, they, they wanted answers, they wanted to know. So um, clearly my role as captain, it's above, you know, my pay grade in terms of does the coach stay or not. Um, I threw my support behind Bucks and I've always believed he's the right guy but Mm. um, my role and the player's role is to try and stay as focused as we could but um, understand that guys' heads were spinning and they wanted answers and yeah, yeah, since that decision's come down that he's going to stay... you know, our record's been pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you guys as a footy club are having a brilliant year so far. What lessons do you think the AFL industry should take from the way this club handled Bucks' situation last year? Yeah, well, I think, I think oh, I don't know this, but I think our club probably looked at what other clubs have done in the past in similar situations and um, probably looked at world sport as well. And um, I think Alistair Clarkson's got that famous line, the biggest quick fix in football stability. So, yeah. Um, you know, there would have been decisions for um, senior players, myself included, if you get a new coach in and all of a sudden they want to go rebuild it. You know, I'm 30 now, so if a new coach comes into these doors and says, I want to be a rebuild, you know, do I want to be here a part of this rebuild or do I want to go chase a flag? So, 
Um, you know, I, for me, I'm so grateful that we made the decision we did with, with Bucks to stay and brought in some new coaches. And, um, yeah, the stability here is, I think, the reason why we are, mm. um, you know, why we've had a good start to 2018. It, just as a comment, it seems as though the industry and the clubs are uh, are now trending down this path. I mean, it, it, every about this time every season, there's a couple of coaches that are under pressure, and this year's it's happening again. Yeah. But the clubs seem to be able to be better at withstanding that and showing faith. And we saw it with Richmond, and we've seen it with you guys, and you know Carlton are making all the right noises at the moment, and Gold Coast and those sort of things, St Kilda. So it seems as though the industry is maturing around this. Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. I don't. The, the obvious one for me now is St Kilda. You know, they're going through what seems like what we went through last year. Yeah. Um, you know, and Richo was one of my earliest coaches here as development coach. And I watched that game on the weekend praying that um, St, Kilda, St Kilda would win for Richo because I know he's an outstanding coach. And, um, you know, I'm obviously not inside their four walls, but I know that how smart he is with football. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it seems like, you know, they're probably going through a process like what this club did. And, um, you know, everyone's just got to be patient because – um, I think everyone thinks that when you say you're going to rebuild that you go from the bottom and then you move two places every year and eventually you win a flag. It's, it doesn't just go, it doesn't just trend upwards. There's going yeah. to be some, you know, shaky periods and, um, you know, St Kilda were trending upwards. Now they've had a bit of a, a halt to this season, but that doesn't mean that back half of the, this year they don't find what they're looking for and then have a really strong year next year. Yeah. So on the topic of lessons learned, what's the biggest lesson you've learned about leadership since you've become captain of this footy club? Oh, probably patience. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you – especially when you walk into a club that is successful, you know, I come in and played finals every year um, and all I knew was finals. You know, it's, it's prelim straight away. Second year we played in a drawn um, qualifying final that then goes into overtime in Perth. and um, Yeah, and then – Obviously, at that end, I think it was like 2012, we, we did a little bit of a list clean out and brought in some young guys and just the patience because it does take time for um, groups to gel and, um, you know, the last three or four years we've had some horrific injury lists as well, things like that. So just that patience of, mm. you know, as much as you want success now and you want to drill in the right standards and behaviours, it still takes time for guys to pick up those things and for some weeks they'll get it, then the next week we'll coming out and we're dishing up absolute garbage and it's like what's going on here how can we go from one week so good to the next week and it's that those players that have played between you know 10 50 games it's it's very hard for them to understand each week how up and about how switched on mentally you've got to be and I think our group now this year we've got you know you see Geordie Degoe you know Braden Maynard Matthew Scharenberg Tommy Langdon all the guys now that have played around those 50 games and they get you know you don't get too high when you play well don't get too low when you don't play well and yeah, that consistency is starting to shine. So it's a good segue into my next question, which was, and I've done this with all the captains I've been speaking to. I've spoken to some of your teammates about you and the type of leader you are and the types of themes that were shared with me, all positive, um, <laughs> as they always are, like leads by example, you work bloody hard, very reliable, patient, very knowledgeable, great on-field and in-the-moment leader, um, prioritise building strong personal relationships. Are they things that you've set out to do? Do they resonate with you, I guess, firstly? But are they things that you've – is that just Scott Pendlebury the person or is that stuff that you um, think is important? Oh, I think it's just what how I was treated when I first walked in. Um, the senior players here really looked after the young guys. You know, Paul Lecure grabbed me, yeah. took me under his wing, um, taught me how to train hard, um, taught me how to train smart, taught me about recovery – just all the little elements that there is in football. And, um, you know, I've sort of almost like Nick Rewalt's comments the other day, sort of, you know, their version of, 
what you're talking about. I think it's something at St Kilda, their version of feedback. Yeah. Very different to what I'm used to. And um, I think that's just the way the game's gone. You know, 10 years ago, the meetings were so much different to what they are now because we're learning so much more about individuals. And, mm. um, you know, when I'm done football, I want to coach. So that learning side and um, teaching element really appeals to me and, you know, sort of pick up how different guys learn. And, you know, with Geordie, say, I, I work pretty close with Geordie and, for him, I know he wants to just do it. Let's not talk about it. Let's just go do it. Um, let's practice it. I don't want to sit in front of a computer and watch it, whereas yep. someone else loves sitting in front of a computer or reading about it. So yep. it's just different ways, and that stuff, you know, sort of fascinates me in, in a way. Can we can we just touch on Geordie? I'm, and I'm not going to get into the sort of history too much. I remember you and I had a chat about it at the time at the start of the season when he was sanctioned. Um, and you know your really strong view was this was going to help him become a better player for the club, and I think yeah. history would probably say to this point that's absolutely happened. Do you feel as though you know the leadership that you and the group showed to get to a point with him that he's actually now helping him produce better on-field performances? Yeah, well, I think it's it's almost that thing when when players take up something outside of football and they start playing um, better football. You know, still side bottom. Will Hoskin Elliott at the moment are doing sort of a building apprenticeship and both of them having probably career best years. Geordie yep. the same, is just having a bit more balance away from football um, has made him a better player and he's not he's not working sort of any harder on his game but just off the field I think he's a bit more settled, understands AFL, how important it is and yep. um, you know, we're playing better as a side which makes it probably a little bit easier to play better but he's a big part of the reason why we are playing better. So yep. um, yeah, I'm really proud of, of Geordie so far this year. Mm. Just personally on your leadership, are, are there any philosophies or traits that you have, like things that you've really focused on and then gone away and tried to develop? Um, oh, probably just that, the learning from different individuals and trying to figure out what makes guys tick. And, yeah. um, you know, Phil Jackson is probably a guy that, you know, I've read a lot about or Greg Popovich um, and, you know, they often speak about you've got to try and understand how individuals tick. So um, just reading about stuff and um constantly trying to learn and evolve because what i was like five years ago is probably completely different to how i am now and mm. um yeah and a, a, as we get better as a side the demand probably starts to to really ramp up you know and um you know i think the beauty of our list so far this year is we're you know we're fairly healthy and um guys can see that so yeah, footy is such a win-loss game and you, know, you guys are so accountable based on your wins and your losses. But how as a leader do you get feedback about your performance? Uh, probably just off the other other leaders. Um, it's probably the, the funny one. Probably the coach and the, the captain don't actually get a hell of a lot of feedback. Mm. We, we, you know, you give, you give feedback all the time to people and whatnot. And because you're in those positions of, you know, being so trusted and, and everyone thinks you're so reliable all the time that it's almost that thing, to, you know, who lately has asked you if you're going all right. Yeah. Um, and probably the captain and the coach, I reckon, are probably the two that um, you're just almost seen as bulletproof. But, um, yeah, certainly with me, I've learned to ask for feedback. Nick Maxwell working in that cultural role now has been really good for the footy club and, you know, he provides really strong feedback for me and, and Bucks does as well. Yeah. I guess – so you, your leadership group is voted on by Players. the playing group. So yep. I guess you get your feedback you know, yeah, annually pretty through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah annually through that. But, yeah, with, with footy, you want you want it more than, than yeah. annually. You know, you don't want to yeah. get voted in now and then in 12 months' time you're out, you're probably thinking, oh, there's a fair gap there that you've missed opportunities yeah. to, to ask for feedback. The – the question I've asked all the other guys too is any mentors? Like do you have people that you go to to, to talk about leadership with? Um, oh, I had some really good coaches when I was young um, in basketball from, from sales. So, yep. um, 
you know, I speak to those those two a little bit, but um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I've got like a strong mentor that I that I reach out to. I suppose, obviously, you know, Bucks has been huge for me, and and Robert Harvey's another one that I speak to, you know, daily about football. So when I probably sit here and actually think about that, yeah, yeah Bucks and yeah. Harves now would, would be the two that I really lean on and um, just speak to, yeah, regularly. Good. Now I, I interviewed Dyson Heppel. Uh, last week, actually, who spoke glowingly about you. Um, I'd probably say even a bit of a bromance going on there, at least from his side. Um, he actually spoke about how you'd helped him with his leadership and he said you'd even reached out to him when you knew he was having a tough time earlier this year, which I think would surprise a few people. Um, in such a competitive industry, tell me what drives you to do that. And by the way, I think it's a terrific thing that the players help each other out and I reckon that's happening more and more. But what drives you to help out another captain? Um, oh, well, obviously Dyson... Um, you know, he grew up sort of down my way, played for Gippsland, um, played with my younger brother. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd just seen, you know, Essendon going through a tough time. I could um, just see by the way that he was going to that, um, you know, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. He probably didn't think he did, but I've been in that position where you do mm. and you don't know it. So, um, yeah, just reached out to him and um, just told him to keep keep chugging on. It will turn for him. you got to stay positive. Yeah. Just things like that. And, um, yeah, just reached out and... If it made him feel a little bit better, it did, and yeah, it did. Um, it did really did. I think it yeah. had a big impact on him, which is you know, which this should be more of. And uh, interestingly, you weren't the only one that had done that. So, <laughs> you know, I think that com- sense of community amongst the players, yeah. even from different clubs, is a really admirable part of our industry. Yeah. What do you reckon your strengths are as a leader? You've touched on patience as something that's become. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to to sit here and try and um, reflect. It's probably. I think knowledge is one thing about the game and how we want to play that I'm really strong on sort of the the key elements of how we play but then also having guys have the freedom to express themselves within the team structure. So, um, yeah, that's probably, you know, knowledge of what we want, how we want to do it but, um, you know, the knowledge of, you know, the forward roles, the back roles, all that sort of stuff is... Um, you know, it makes it pretty easy to talk to guys if you know, you know, what's expected and um, just trying to impart that with guys. And mm. um, But then, you know, with a first year like Jaden Stevenson, it, it might just be watching his tape with him. And, um, you know, I think he got chased down by Michael Hibbard on, on Queen's birthday. And it's just watching that and saying, you know, next time I think you should take him on, you know, even more aggressively. Don't cut to the boundary, cut corridor. And yeah. I want you to keep doing that sort of stuff. And you know, you're pretty lucky when a kid like that though walks in the door. You know, he's got confidence that is unwavering, and um, you just want to make sure that um, yeah, guys stay confident within themselves when they've had a bad one, when they've had a good one. Um, part of football clubs, I think, is always bringing them back down a peg too when they've yeah. played. You know, when we walked off the the game that the USA chant was going for Coxie when we walked off, and <laughs> you know, you certainly got some quick feedback about about that. <laughs> Sounds like you're the type of leader, though, that is empowering. Just listening to you there, you'll empower your guys. And I think, you know, in a game that's become, you know, very controlled now, and, yeah. I, and I wouldn't mind touching on that in a, in a second, um, it sounds like you're still encouraging the guys to take risks and take the game. Yeah, on. well, it's an in- instinct sport, isn't it, yeah. football? And you you have a look at the, the best sides, you know, Hawthorne when they're up and going, um, Geelong, as good as they are structurally and organised, there's still moments of individual brilliance that separate them. And, and Richmond Geelong on the weekend was a classic example of, of a guy like Daniel Rioli comes in and there's, as much as coaches probably want to take credit for it, there's stuff that he does that you just can't teach. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to 
felt that out of young kids and you want to see their strengths shine and mm. as I said Jaden Stevenson's Will Hoskinelli the guys like that that they can make the football talk they can do special things and you don't want to get them to, to be robots out there because yeah. you're missing so much so you touched on being um, having a desire to be a coach, and you know it's obvious to me. And I've spent you know quite a bit of time with you on the AFLPA board. You're a genuine student of the game. You know you talk about the game, and you know, I learn something every time I talk to you about it. How long has that been in your system for? And you know what are you going to do to take that step <laughs> post career? Um, yeah, I suppose post career is just it'll be opportunity based. You know wherever an opportunity pops up to be an assistant coach, you know go chase that. Yeah. Um, you know. Until then, it's, you know, make sure level two, in the process of doing that now, finishing that off, then level three, you know, try and get as much knowledge. And, you know, last year when I missed the last seven games of the year, I sort of asked Bucks Walsh if they mind if I sit in like a coach for seven weeks because I wasn't going to be playing. So mm. I was fortunate enough to just get a little insight into in what, what goes on and all the work they do behind the scenes, but then how you've got to transfer that information to the players. So, you, um, What did you learn from that experience? Um, oh... Probably one th- – I, I know it's probably easy to say because it was only seven weeks, but um, how hard they have to work for, for – like, you know, they've probably got um, oh, 100 pages of information and then they go to a meeting and they give one page. And it's mm. like, like you, they do so much to cross-check and um, reference and plan for every scenario, but then to the players it's got to be a clear message. Yeah, talk um, talk that to me just, about that. That talk. just impressed me. Yeah. Um, so how did you get a sense of how they – Got from a hundred to one, and what you know? What lessons have we have we all got? I mean, as a head of the AFLPA, we come out and talk to you guys, and I reckon that's one of our great challenges: is getting our message through in a way that's concise yeah. and something that the players can understand yeah. and and want to sit to and listen. How, what, yeah. what, what can you teach us? Oh, from I think that? The, the the one thing that I was sort of like toing and froing about when I seen that is like, we are you doing too much work um, as assistant coaches, coaches? Um, you know, because at the end of every meeting, it always come back to the key themes, and it always come back to playing how we want to play. And yep. um, so I was like, you know, we do all this work, and it's sort of like wasted. So like, can you spend your time instead of sitting at the computer for half an hour? You're better off going having a coffee with a player or having a kick and just talking about mm. footy and stuff like that. So I don't know. I've only seen seven weeks of it, so I don't yep. know. Like that's just my brief snapshot of it. But um, yeah, probably more just thought-provoking and yeah. got me to think about different ways or can we do it better and because um, yeah you I'm assuming every football club at the end of the week goes you know regardless of what they do we want to take this this and this away from them but we want to play our brand of football mm. so, I mean, that's, a, that's obviously a sign of good leadership too that you're taking in information you're challenging it you're putting it into your own mind as to how you deal with it yeah. so you, you can see that you're um, looking to develop as quick as you can I, I wouldn't mind I've touched on your strengths are there any things that you're looking to improve as a leader um oh, i think every yeah, you're constantly trying to improve it's just how you deal with people um those relationships you have with guys and ways you can do it better um constantly asking for feedback around the place of things that you think um are working or are you too hard you're too pushy here yeah things like that so so uh, one of the things i want to ask you was you know like any football club team you've got 45 blokes or thereabouts on your list how do you get to know and build relationships with so many people I think that's the beauty of a leadership group and I reckon in my time um, a good leadership group gets across everyone and um, you know I've got strong relationships with 
you know, 60, 70% of the group. And then other guys, you know, I don't have very strong relationships with just there's 40, there's so many guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I'd comfortably say that I know how everyone's tracking football wise, but outside of football, you know, there's a lot of guys I do know and some guys I don't know, but I reckon as a leadership group would be across the whole playing list and, um, if I ever wanted to know something about a guy that I wasn't sure of, yeah. one of the other boys would better go, oh, this is what he's doing. Um, or, you know, he just broke up with his missus, so don't ask this, this and this or yeah. whatever it is. And that's, yeah, it's sort of in my time, I looking back, I think it must have been so hard for, I don't know, in the 80s when there was just a captain and you were supposed to know everyone. And yeah. it's, yeah, leadership groups are, are powerful things. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that and I might as well, um, whilst we're talking about it, how important do you think leadership groups are and what is the role of the leadership group here? Yeah, so the role, like the, the role here is the conduit between players and coach. Um, but also I think, you know, this leadership group here that we've got um, your relationships with the whole playing group, the medical staff, the fitness staff, being able to challenge the coaches. Um, it's sort of, a, it's evolving every year and you asked more and more of you as a, as a leadership group. But we've had a relatively consistent group now for four years uh, three years now so it's myself still side bottom taylor adams jeremy howe um added lyndon dunn this year so pretty experienced group the five of us have played the majority of footy for the last two years together um everyone's got our own strengths and and weaknesses and um just try and leverage you know put guys where they can you know maximize their strengths and, and slowly chip away at their weaknesses but um you know really promote what they're doing and then i suppose the the emerging leaders group underneath us is that next tier that we want to come through. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. The, the demographic of your leadership group, as you said, is a bit more of an experienced group. Some uh, leadership groups are made up of a, a good cross-section of age groups within the playing group. For the point you made before, the relatability to players, yeah. is that a deliberate uh, um, make-up that you've got here? Yeah, well, I think it's just based on our behaviours and values. Um, the players see fit that, um, you know, we carried out we do we carried out better than you know other guys in this group and Taylor Adams is probably the the, I think he's 24 so he's you know quite quite young but um you know even probably in AFL standards now 24 is sort of middle of your career so but then I you know we've got that emerging leaders group underneath yeah that where we've got you know like a Braden Maynard Tommy Langdon Darcy Moore so you sort of and then you know our leadership group and emerging leaders group catch up a bit and just have a chat about what they're sensing because they see different things to what we do. Um, we're old apparently, so though we miss out on all the new yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah, we've got a, a good balance here, and um, you know the coaches are, are really good to us and, and hear what we've got to say if we're if we're really strong on things. So I want to ask sort of two related questions around the leadership group. One of the really difficult things that a leadership group has to do, and we touched on it earlier, is discipline. Your mates, your yeah. teammates. Yeah. How difficult do you find that? And do you yeah. think that is the right model to be the players sitting in judgment of their for their teammates? Yeah, it's probably one where you don't know whether it is the right model or not, but um, it's probably one of the things when I first started as captain that I've changed the most on till to, to now where when I used to get the phone call about someone mucking up or whatever, um, you know, it was like I used to see red and just think, you know, like it's the last thing you want to deal with like how can you put yourself so far in front of the club and all that sort of stuff and then without even ringing the person and just saying are you all right what happened are you okay like there's so much more than what you just hear or what goes on and um 
yeah, even say, you know, Geordie, this, when, when it happened this year, is, I called him and just, how you going? Are you going okay? Mm. Um, like, I know there's a storm about to happen, but are you going all right? Yeah. We'll deal with it on Monday. I just want to check in with you first. And I think players, you know, I know Geordie really appreciated that, that it wasn't just a phone call where it was like, you sit there and listen, I've got probably three minutes where I'm going to go through you and just sort of hang up. And, um, and then in terms of sitting on it, I think what we did this year as a, as a club, you know, the coaching staff, um, you know, Walshy and his team, you know, we all caught up and um, Ed from the board as well. Um, just what do we think? What's How are we going to make Geordie a better person from this? Um, it wasn't so much about how can we discipline him and make him hurt so much that he wants to spew and all that sort of stuff, what yeah. it used to be like. Whereas yeah. now it's... Um, yeah, it's just re-emphasising to him you know, how lucky he is that he's got this chance. Um, this is a program we set in place with you, you know, and you work, we worked with him to, to come to that decision. Oh, I'm really interested in that, the point you made about how you may have dealt with it in years gone by versus how you've dealt with it now, the real shift from getting stuck into them to checking in with them. Yeah. What, how did that shift come about? Um, well, I think it's just it's probably what I was saying before with when Rewalt was talking about St Kilda is when I first started, if you made a mistake, you just got berated. Yeah. And no one actually, you know, if you're late to training, um, I remember in my first year or second year, one of the young boys was late to training and a couple of the senior guys got stuck into them and they actually like were crying on the training track. They went that hard at them. And we were just like, oh my God, the lesson to be learned from this is just never ever be late type thing. And then, because as you do with all the young guys, you check in, it's like, what happened while you're late? And it's like, oh, one of my tyres went down on the freeway and not. I couldn't put it back together and yeah. it took me an hour. And it's like, geez, well, if you had to just asked, like, I mean, like the senior guys had to just ask, they wouldn't have surely gone through you. But yeah. So I think, and then over time you just learn there's always more that happens. Um, and even if there's not, what, what gets reported is true. You still got to check in. It's still a person. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, I think just showing that little bit more care and, you know, like Geordie knew he was going to cop a whack, but still like to show a bit of care and ring in, check in that he's okay and whatever, I think it's very important. The other part of the leadership group piece I just wanted to touch on was, uh, I guess, your game review. Yep. I mean, how do you guys do game review? Does the leadership group play a role in that or is that a more whole group in um, discussion? No, we play well, – I think we play a fairly big role in, in the review here. And, um, you know, so whenever it is, say, last game was Monday, played Melbourne the Tuesday, we catch up as a leadership group, um, go through um, just individually how we went against our values um so there's you know certain things that we have a look at how we went we talked to each other about you know i, I seen this i thought that was really good i reckon here could have done this um and then we talk just overall themes what do we think we did well what do we need to work on and um then we go into the coaches and, and have that chat with them about what we think's working what we needed in the messaging is there anything we picked up that we think needs to be clearer or better yeah um and yeah it's funny but this year we've probably been um, as harmonious as ever. Yeah, it's good. So it's a, it's a pretty structured review with the leadership group, yep. group playing a senior sort of really central role in all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. And and I suppose it's it's very good that Bucks allows that to happen because as a senior coach, you know, at any stage you could be like, no, nah, no, nah, it's gone this way. But, yeah. you know, he values what we have to say so much. And, um, yeah, the trust that he's got in our, in our, in our leadership group here is, is very good. Yeah, good. Your... Yeah, one of the high-profile players in the league, you know, as I said at the start, highly decorated. How do you balance everything? You've got 
you know, the biggest club in the land. You've got sponsors, you've got media, you've got the AFL, you've got us, you've got family now. Um, yeah. How do you balance everything with the interests, I guess, of the playing group and yourself? Um, well, I think for me it's, you know, family and footy are first and then I'll plug in my other commitments around that. But for me it's family, footy um, and my, you know, two big sort of yep. core businesses, if you like, and then around that's just trying to schedule myself, be organised, um, which which took a little bit of learning and, you know, I double booked myself quite a bit when I was first trying to do it, just trying yeah. to figure out how it all works. But because um, when I first started, it was you just trained, you went home, chilled out, went and had a coffee with a mate, yep. um, all that sort of stuff. And now it's, you know, you've, you look at the schedule, there's an opportunity to, you know, do X, Y and Z here and things like that. But yeah, it's just sort of become the norm and, you know, I'll always put... Um, family and footy first though over sort of all the other external things. Well, I feel very privileged to sneak an hour here <laughs> with you today. Is there any truth to the rumour that you're uh, maybe a little bit anal when it comes to organising yourself and your time? Um, oh, yeah, I'd, I don't like to have wasted time, that's fair to say. And <laughs> it's probably probably more heightened now with, with Jack's, you know, my son coming yeah. into the world and, um, yeah, making sure I'm organised so that when I don't have to be here at the football club or I'm done, I can I can get home and spend time with with him and Alex. Yeah, I was going to come to that, but I'm I'm really interested in you know you, you being a father now to Jacks. How has life changed for you? Um, I don't know. It's it just seems better. It seems um, yeah. yeah. I've just had a, the last 13 months since he's been around. It's just been you know a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, a lot of sleepless nights. But yeah, yeah it's sort of um and everyone says it puts life into perspective pretty quickly and you know after after games if he's come to the footy and he comes down to the rooms you know win or loss he doesn't know he just wants to play with his dad or have a laugh and mm. um yeah it's just something that i've really enjoyed and you know alex has been a superstar mom and allows me to, to get mostly good night's sleep so yeah. um yeah it's going well good going again soon um yes yeah, that question comes around quickly doesn't it <laughs> after you have one but yeah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I won't, I won't press you on that one. <laughs> hey, um, media, I'm really interested in your approach here. I think you've been very forthright at times in the media, and yeah. uh, you know, it's which I think is refreshing. And I'm interested in why you feel that you can speak so openly on important issues when so many in the industry feel as though they can't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just yeah, I, I love the game. Um, you know, I don't want to be robotic. You know, at times if it's if it's about Collingwood and, you know, how we're going, I can be, you know, I can play the straight bat. I know the questions to avoid. But when we're talking about the game in general, yeah. you know, I've got strong views on how I think it should be played and I'll speak freely about, you know, whether it's the umpires or the, you know, Chris Owens match review officer or whatever it is, you know, state of origin coming back, all that sort of stuff. I yeah. think that's just a great fl- platform for, for players to speak about what they're passionate about. Mm. Yeah, and I think there, there there should be more of it. I can see why players are nervous, and probably not every player is as capable as you. But you know, I think that's probably one thing as an industry we've got to keep trying to flush out is players being able to freely speak on these issues because they've got good things to say. Yeah, and I think you know, with yeah, with players they do have good ideas, but they're worried that um, their club you know might be against that or might be a strength of their club, and they don't want to show other clubs what they're doing. And yeah. um, you know, with footy now, every club knows everything about everyone, um, so it's it's no surprise and you know you know if you played Geelong they're going to make a late change yeah I mean you probably know what that late change is but for some reason everyone's like oh we don't want to talk about this because it's our competitive advantage but 
yeah, I think as an industry, we, we know as much as you can about everyone and yeah. just be great to hear um, more openness amongst, you know, players, coaches about what they really think, you know. You know, I know there's meetings that go on and take place, you know, the, the whatever the laws of the game committee or yep. something now yep. that you always hear about. But, um, yeah, I think those discussions would be pretty cool to see if they played out just in everyday media. It also gives the media probably a little bit more to talk about other than all the negative stuff that they can find. Yeah. All for that. I, you've obviously been on the AFLPA board now for the past two years. After not having a lot of involvement with us up to that point, I've never really asked you this, but why did you get involved? Um, I think just being a bit older and understanding the landscape a bit more and, um, yeah, my role, I think, as a senior player, not just at this club but for the whole industry, um, you know, I think there's, you know, a lot of topics we talk about at board meetings that I'm passionate about and, yeah. and stuff that I'm also learning and, mm. um, you know, there's some pretty high-level people that sit in those meetings and you can just sit there and learn from and how meetings take place, how people challenge, the way they challenge. Yep. Um, you know, and I've spoke to the other players on the board and the reason they got involved were very similar things. It's a great learning environment. There's great networks you can build yep. um, and things like that. And, you know, I've learned a lot in, in two years about all the inner workings of what the PA is doing. Yeah, good. And in terms of the, I mean, it probably also helps players get a, an understanding of the bigger picture of the game as well, which at times players can be a little insular in terms of looking at the issue that's in front of them, whether it's you know, a rule change they don't like or whatever. But, yeah. you know, that bigger picture probably helps as well, I think. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, when we go to a, a board meeting, there's the agenda and you have a look and you sort of get reasons why and a bit more futuristic in your views and, yeah. and how's the game going to look in three years and you've got to be setting yourself up for three to five years not just the now and mm. I think footy clubs and pl probably players more than anyone live you know very much in the now whereas you know the AFL the, the PA we're all thinking now three years five years ten years yeah. and decisions you make right now you might think are a little bit crude but in three years time you know everyone will turn around and pat you on the back for so yeah. it's just stuff that like that that I've learned yeah you're you're also an avid follower of US sports, obviously a basketball background, but I know you're you're a, you're a fan of most of the sports. What do you think the AFL can learn from these sports? Um, oh, I'd love the media side of it to open right up, and because um, I think at the moment the media's there's so much media too, and they're so desperate for a story and to be first that um, they'll go with anything. And I think the reason that happens is because football clubs are such enclosed environment that mm. they've got to sniff around and there's always a source and all this sort of stuff. And I just think, you know, pre-game, post-game, open it right up and, you know, be able to be in rooms 20 minutes before a game talking to players and things like that. And I don't think it's going to affect performances and, um, you know, it will become the norm in 10 years' time. You know, that's what I'm talking about before when I say you've got a futuristic view of three, five years, 10 years. In 10 years' time, kids that walk into the game they won't know any difference because that's just how football is. And I yeah. think the media side of it, there'll be more stories that are positive that they can write because, you know, for example, you know, Jay Clark, who I'm pretty close with, you know, imagine if he got to spend a week at the Collingwood Football Club and um, sat in our pre-game and post-game and could, you know, tell the football world about that. Mm. You know, obviously get it cross-checked or whatever for stuff you don't want out. But I reckon the, the football community and audience would, you know, eat that up. So how do you reckon we make that shift from what it is today to what you're talking about? Well, it's, it's probably what we talk about with the rule changes. You know, so many players are like, don't touch the game, just let the game yeah. you know, marinate naturally by itself. But um, how we do it, I don't know. But I think it's something that, you know, when I look at our game, I think it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It will happen soon. So why not jump in and let's do it and do it yeah. as an industry and 
Uh, I know some guys won't like to do it, but you'll quickly learn if you're the media and you're trying to talk to, I don't know, Lyndon Dunn here, for example, and he gives you two-word answers that, all right, maybe I'm not going to speak to him next week, so I'll go speak to, you know, Pendles, who, yeah. who's happy to have a chat. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I tend to agree. I think we're going to get to that point at some point. And, yeah, you know, I guess the, the, one of the big questions for me, and I'd be interested in your view on this, is do you think that the players or the clubs are the bigger barrier to that happening or both? Um, oh, probably both, but for different reasons. I think the clubs would be worried about IP and all that yeah. sort of stuff, which I don't think any club puts their game plan on walls pre-game. That, yeah. You know, you can walk around and just read randomly. And, and then players would be probably a little bit nervous that they don't want to do media Um you know, like 20 minutes before the bounce, but you're seeing it now. The guys do it yeah. 10 seconds before the bounce or at half time. And, um, you know, maybe it's you dip the toe in the water at the start. And, you know, if, say, for example, if it happened this weekend at, at this club, it might be you've got access to Pendles, Sidey, Howie um, from 40 to 20 minutes before um, the, you know, the game starts and you come in and we'll see how it goes from there and yeah. then gradually open it up more and more. Right, we'll, uh, we'll push that discussion back to the next <laughs> PA board meeting. Um, one of the big issues that we're talking about as a Plaza Association, as you know, is mental health. And it does, this is actually probably folds a little bit into the discussion we've just had, but this scrutiny that players are under today, I think is probably more than it's, it's ever been. Um, how do you think we go about as an industry creating a good, safe environment, culture at a time where they are so scrutinised and feeling so much pressure? Um, yeah, it's a really tricky one. I think if someone had the answer for that, they'd be making a lot of money, or they probably are making a lot of money behind the cl- behind the doors. But um, yeah, I feel like it's it's for high draft picks seem to cop it as bad as anyone. And um, you know, there's there's players around that are high draft picks that if they're not performing after three years, they're they're you know copying it so hard and. Um, you know, I feel really sorry for those guys because they've got no control in, yeah. in that. You know, it's part of their development. And, yeah. um, you know, when you walk into a football club, the first thing they say to you, if you pick one or pick 100, it doesn't matter. You've all got the same chance. But to the media, it's not that. Yeah. And you should be performing straight away. And, um, yeah, the external. So I think what you've got to set up at your club is so important that the, the feedback the players are getting um, is really good. And, um, you know, even the, the PA stuff this year, where you, the social media education sessions where – You've got to get your phone set up correctly and get yep. rid of all the filters on, and um, you know. But we've got there's young guys here, there's young guys in the league. They love hearing the positive stuff that comes their way, but then when the negative stuff comes, they find that challenging, which is which is normal. But um, you know, we speak about it here is get all those your social media stuff set up correctly where you don't see any of it. Yeah. You know, you just don't see it. You see it from people you follow because there is there is people out there that do want to chop you down and. Um, you know that is hard for young guys now because social media is you know you see they they walk around at lunch you know on their phone and and things like that and it's just everywhere so um you know and it's everywhere in society as well so it's not just football clubs but i think we've we're trying to to lead the charge in in how how we go about it yeah good so cast your mind forward to you know five what are you 31 30 30 sorry mate um 30, let's say you get another five, six years out of your career. Yep. Just before you, you take on the coaching role at the Collingwood Footy Club. Yeah. How do you want to be remembered from a leadership perspective? Um, oh, I think as a leader, somebody that gave back as much as he could to my teammates to, to make them better. And um, that's something that, you know, I try and do with the way I play footy, try and bring guys into the game, try and make other players around me better. And I think as a leader from just day-to-day life is – 
um, drag guys along, um, make them better people. And, and when I walk out of here, you know, I hope that most of the guys would say that I had a positive impact on their careers. Yeah, good, simple. One of the things I've now spoken to a number of the captains and uh, one of the questions I've asked everyone is um, about what do you think business leaders can learn from AFL captains? I think you guys as a collective are an incredibly impressive group. Uh, it's been an interesting question to ask because I don't think often you guys sit back and think about this. But there are a lot of things that are similar and yeah. I think in a lot of respects business leaders can learn from you guys. Have you got anything you think? Oh, I think the feedback loop. Yeah. Um, just speaking to people as I've got older that do have businesses, when they come into our organisation, they're amazed at the feedback loop of how much and how often you get it. Yeah. And they talk about how they do their quarterlies, yeah. whatever. I think that, um, you know, what person out there doesn't want to get feedback with how they're going? And I understand in, you know, really large organisations that might be challenging to do, but that feedback loop of, of being open and, you know, when someone's doing, you know, flying out of their job, you shouldn't have to wait till a quarterly to be like, oh, you've done really well this last quarter, you know, you've yeah. grown the business X amount or, you know, they tap them on the shoulder after a quarterly and say, you know, you're really dropped away. Like, I feel like those discussions should be happen, happening regularly because it'd probably make the business a bit more effective if, you know, they could pick up on things a lot quicker and they didn't have to wait to, you know, performance reviews. So, uh, and it's a point that most of the captains have picked up, probably not as articulate as you just have there. Just tell me about how it works in, in this football club for the positive and the negative feedback. Is it more just as um, informal tap on the shoulder, well played in the weekend, or is there a real formal aspect to it? Um, I think there's both informal, formal. Um, all the line coaches, like so when I say line, I mean assistant coaches that um, provide that. You know, me catching up with halves about midfield stuff. You know, him talking to me about my game. You know. X, Y, and Z. I think you're, you're flying at the moment. You know, you get that, you get that every week, and it's so good to walk into halves and um, you know he'll be saying, you know, for, for Fremantle when we played Fremantle, and you know I had the job on that five to, to play on him at stoppages. He, he walked in, he'd be like, you know, there's four or five bits of vision here that exactly what we spoke about pre-game and well executed. And yeah. here's a couple of times where you went away from it. You know, you need to stick to the task here, and um, with the understanding that it's all about trying to make you a better player and. Um, you know, and then there's little things every day, you know, if you hear when the young guys come in and, um, you know, they don't say please or well, thank you, you know, that stuff gets picked up pretty quick, mm. quickly and you get feedback really, really direct. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I think your this immediate feedback is because you've got to get out and you've got to perform and you've got to improve the next week, don't you? Which is no different to business. But yeah. you're right, the, yeah. the feedback loop is so much more dragged out in a business yeah. world. But I think we're we're trying to improve so much from week to week with a bigger goal though that in seven months time it all leads to that continual improvement from round one leads to potentially a a date grand final day so Mm. while while you do get it weekly it's all about trying to combine that into a bigger thing where it snowballs and all of a sudden everyone's singing from the same hymn book come finals time yeah just, just on that you know and so that's a really interesting that you that's that's the plan has, has there been a season where, and probably more than one, has there been a season where you've set out the start of the year thinking that you are going to achieve that ultimate success, you haven't, yeah. and then at some point during that journey you've realised we're not going to get there and, and you start to sort of work out why? Is that part of the regular routine? Um, routine? I, I've never gone into a season thinking I'd win a flag. Yeah. Um, even 2010, it wasn't until about round 18 where I thought we were a chance. Um, it's probably the last four years when we haven't got to finals that you know, when it's mathematically that I've worked out the ladder that there's no possible way that we can get there. Um, that's when I start asking questions. Where did we 
where do we get it wrong? What did we miss? Or, you know, are we tracking all right? We've just got to, you know, these are the growing pains you go through. So, um, and I think that'd be the same as a business. You know, if you forecast profits and you miss it, you know, what happened? Where'd we go wrong? How yeah. can we improve it? And um, yeah, there's even, you know, last year where it was, we were so close so many times, but we just fell away. Um, you know, did we have to go through that growing pains to get where we are today? And, mm. you know, I'd love it if we didn't have to, but then it's probably too much of a smooth ride where, yep. you know, it's just smooth sailing too much. Um, I'm nearing the end here. I'm going to ask you a couple of personal questions if, all right, if this is all right. Yep. And one of the um, – there's a nice piece of footage that does the rounds of the AFLPA of a very skinny Scott Pendlebury taking out the um, current AFLPA alumni manager, former Carlton player Brad Fisher in 2007, oh. <laughs> your second year in his fifth, with a bump that sent him – Airborne and into yeah. a 360 degree spin. Do you remember it? I do. Good. <laughs> I, I was ready if you said no, which would have been a slap in Fisher's face. But were you surprised that um, that you were able to do that to a much stronger fifth year player, key position player? I was surprised how easily you went down. I must admit. <laughs> and I remember. Um, I probably more remember it because Maxi stuffed up the kick. Um, <laughs> And then I remember Mick saying, you know, if ever in that situation again, get the ball off Maxi and let him block for you. But yeah, Fish went down pretty easily, didn't he? He did, yeah. We, have, we probably <laughs> get that out once or twice a week, actually. So um, now, as I said, I spoke to a few of your teammates before. One of them told me a, a nasty rumour about you that you're well known for disappearing after one beer at nearly every social event with the boys. Is that true? And if so, what's that about? Um, I would say I have one or two, but um, I find it incredibly hard after a game like that is my time after a game to just to go home, switch off, chill out. Um, and I also love my Sundays, so yeah. I'm not willing to sacrifice that for a night out on the town. So I'll go to all the social functions, have a couple of beers with the boys. But when they're um, talking about what's next, that's probably the time I've already slipped out the door and I'm home. <laughs> and the other thing I got told and, and mind you too, that a lot of guys that used to give me shit for it are starting to do it now. <laughs> this is what happens with old age. Um, I also hear... Um, that you're a terrible joke teller. Is there any truth to that? Um, I think it's just part of what I do is I deliberately tell them poorly so then guys get a, a big laugh and uh, <laughs> when I call the group in and tell them I've got a joke, they're already in, they're already in fits already. Yeah, I like that. And we used to have a guy that worked for us who did that. <laughs> the other thing I was just going to ask you, I've been dying to ask you what on earth possessed you to roll with those dreadlocks back in 2011. I get asked that so much. Um, I don't know. Alan Iverson was a big basketball hero of mine. Okay. He had dreads. Um, I thought I'd do it, but played a poor game in round 11 and they got shaved the next day. <laughs> and haven't gone back, thankfully. Right, the last part of this is um, a little segment we've been finishing off with called the Fast Five. Yep. Just five questions. Um, firstly, I want to ask you who the captain you most admire in the AFL is. Um, oh, I think Joel Selwood. Just yeah. the way he carries himself, the way he performs. Um, yeah, he's, he's one for mine. You'll be pleased to know that um, Dyson Heppel and his, uh, his bromance <laughs> I spoke about before nominated you there. Thanks, Dyson. <laughs> Who's the player you most admire in the AFL? Um, oh, Sean Burgoyne. Yeah, I think that he makes others around him better. Um, yeah. He plays multi multiple roles. Um, he could still play in the midfield and have 30, but he plays where the team best needs his strengths. Yeah, it's interesting. Another smooth mover. If you weren't playing for Bucks, which coach would you most like to play for? Uh, probably Clarko. Yeah, yeah, Clarko. I think just to see um, the tactical side of it fascinates me, and he's clearly um, at the head of the table with that sort of stuff. Okay, maybe an assistance role there. At yeah, some point potentially. If he's still going, <laughs> who's the funniest teammate at the Pies? Um, 
Oh, Sidey. Sidey's your classic country footballer in an elite sporting environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everyone knows what the country football club guys are like, but he's just so fun to be around. He, win or lose, he's always having a good time and yeah. um, it makes it easy to have a good time. Yeah, good. All right, last question. What advice would you give to an AFL captain about to embark on his first season in charge? Um, enjoy it, but don't take on too much. Yeah. Don't feel like you've got to do everything. Use your leadership group. Use your assistant coaches. Ask questions. But, um, yeah, stay true to, to what made you a captain in the first place because by obviously becoming a captain, what you've been doing has been pretty st- strongly seen by all your peers. Yeah. Pendles, uh, greatly appreciate the time this afternoon to catch up. Well done on the season to date and good luck for the weeks to come. Um, I'm not a Collingwood supporter, so I won't say I'm rooting for you, but good luck. <laughs> Thanks, Marshy. Cheers. Thanks, mate.